Hey everyone, this is Anthony Grants, and I want to introduce you all to this podcast. It's called Superstar PR, and it's all about entertainment insider chats with Nikki, the founder of the PR agency, Nikki Inc. This podcast chats with some serious entertainers and media insiders, always choosing people who are making a difference in the entertainment world and who have cool stories to share. Happy listening. Hi there, friends. Thank you for being here with us. This is season three of Superstar PR. Who knew? Who knew this would get here? I'm so happy. Thank you, everyone. My name is Nikki Papayuanu, and I'm your host. And my goal was always to interview the people that make our world an interesting place and those who shape the stories we consume. And, you know, people I generally think are freaking interesting. And so far, you guys agree with me. I am so pleased to be interviewing this guest because I believe life just kind of guides us to the people we're supposed to meet. And, you know, I have a friend, Parul Agrawal, who's a TED Talk speaker, a book publisher, and she said that I had to check out the Storytellers Project. And I'm not sure when you're listening to this because I'm doing this recording during a pandemic, but, you know, it's really good content and I encourage you to listen to it. Now, this guest is the founder of the Storytellers Project, and it's a nationwide series of events from the USA Today Network in more than 20 cities. She has coached more than 1,300 people to share true first-person stories. She graduated from Purdue University, and she was a news features reporter at the Arizona Republic for 14 years. She feels strongly about feminism, cocktails, does her own makeup like a professional. She's a mom to a six-month-old boy, and her name is Megan Finnerty. Megan, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting because you're just a big deal. I wish that were true, but I'm excited to be on your big deal show. <laughs> What's well, funny? Um, my team says that like I have the most bizarre choices of guests, but they're all home runs. And sometimes I just have to act on gut. And I really think you're going to be a great guest. Fingers crossed. Okay, I'm doing my best. I'm in. Okay, girl. So what made you kind of go from being a news journalist with the Arizona Republic to the Storytellers Project? It's kind of different, you know? So there's a leap that happened there. I'm wondering what, what started this? So... When it started, it was in 2011, and um, the Arizona Republic was working to, like the short version is, the Arizona Republic was looking to celebrate our state's centennial, which was going to be in February 2012. And they started to collect and share the stories of everyday Arizonans on the front page of the paper. And they also did a video series, and they partnered with South Mountain Community College. Uh, they have a storytelling institute down there. They partnered with them to teach people how to tell their own stories. And then we videotaped them, and we were putting them on a website. And it was very cool. And I was like, that's super neat. But I noticed that the people who showed up to share their stories at these like, taping days, we did them at libraries and stuff like that, they tended to be a little bit older and whiter than our like state's population is because, you know, those are some people who had some spare time or that's like our generally some of our audience for the newsroom at the time. And I was like, hey, I know that in other cities around America, the moth, M-O-T-H, is doing live storytelling nights in bars and restaurants and it's super cool and there's like a lot of young people and a really diverse audience. I wonder if I could combine these two things, you know, like, can I take the moth's good idea and take our good idea and kind of like bring them together? And I called the moth and they do custom shows. They still do. They're amazing. But they were like, hey, it's $8,000 for us to come and help you do this, which is, for the record, a totally legitimate amount of money. Like, it's not that much, actually, when you know what goes into doing the shows. But I like, didn't have any money. I was just a features reporter, like sitting at my desk. 
So I kind of was like, well, what do I get for $8,000? And, you know, she told me. And then I, like, politely got off the phone and was like, whoa. But when I looked at, like, what the most expensive parts were, it was, you know, advertising or promotion, earned media to publicize the event, and then, of course, like, producing up and coaching and getting storytellers ready to share. And one of my bosses put us in touch with the South Mountain Community College team who agreed to help us with the coaching and, like, figure out how to produce the event. And because I worked in a newsroom, I had access to promotions. But the real truth is, Nikki, I had just given this really good toast at my twin sister's wedding. I'm not joking. I worked on it for six months. And it was amazing. And I thought, oh my God, I could be the MC And I could tell a story because this was like a nine minute toast. That was like a story of my sister's love for her husband. Okay. Long story short, I was like drunk on myself and I was like, I can do it. <laughs> uh, and so I like wrote up a plan and I did. And we did three nights in a row three months in a row. So it was like, we did a night in June, we did a night in July, we did a night in August. And then I told my bosses that we could like review the results of the three events. Cause I didn't want to do it just once. Cause it's like hard to tell if you did something right. If you only do it once, you know? Yes. That's also good advice. Like if any of you are entrepreneurs or you're trying to experiment with something, do things more than once before you make a decision about whether or not it's a good idea. And if you're launching an event series, book three or four events in a row. Cause then you build momentum. Don't just do one and then see if it works, like commit to a few. Anyway, so that's how it started. So I give a ton of credit to the moth. I wouldn't be here without them. They've been around for like 27 years, something like that. Like they are the OG original like storytelling event out of Athens, Georgia at the time, but now they're out of New York city. And um, I don't know. That's how it started. That's, that's actually very cool. And I mean, do you miss being a journalist now? Um, yes and no. So like, I'm still considered a journalist. Like I'm still part of the, I roll up to the um, editorial part of our company. I'm not in a newsroom anymore day to day. So I would say like, yes, in a lot of ways, I do miss the excitement of like working on a story, talking to sources, and then hitting, you know, it running in the paper and connecting with people in that way. I do. But I really loved that too. Like I, I've mourned it. Like I was a loss when I took this job. I lost access to parts of my career that I loved more than anything. So I also think it's like, you know, as you level up in your career, you know, sometimes it means stopping doing the thing you love doing to like advance through your company or something. So anyway, that was sad. <laughs> it sucks. But I feel really lucky to be doing storytellers because I know, you know, we are making a difference across the country. Like 600 people a year get to tell their stories on our stages and tens of thousands of people buy tickets. And we know that like we're creating community and connection and we have like a 93% excellence rating and a 77% net promoter score. Like people love the shows. And so that's like very, very affirming, but, um, yeah, it's very different. You know, it's like different work. It's related to my old job, but it's pretty different. I think it's work that touches on the human experience. And I find that every talk I've seen is somewhat healing. It's an onstage therapy epiphany. I love it. Yeah, I appreciate that you bring that up because uh, we always say that we're a place to describe catharsis, but not achieve it. You know, when you're in therapy, for example, you're like exploring things so that you can achieve catharsis. You can like come to resolution about this thing that happened to you. 
And on our stages, we're working with people for whom that is in the past. They've already done that. And now they're kind of telling us about that moment in their lives. Perfect. Interesting. I mean, I've, I've shared a few stories. I shared one on LinkedIn that I saw about forgiveness. And I guess you kind of answered the question, but when did you know this was a success? Is there like a moment where you're like, holy bleep, like that just happened? Yeah, I think for sure when, um, I would say after the first night when it wasn't, I mean, it was like a lot of my friends, but it wasn't just my friends and, and it went okay. Like no one died (laughs) and 60 people came and people were like, oh my God, keep doing this. Like, I was like, okay, that's something. And on the next night, there were a hundred people there. And on the third night, there were even more. And I was like, okay, like I'm on to something. Now it took years and years and years to refine it, but my bosses supported me pouring my ideas and resources into it because every time I tried harder, it grew. So like, you know, the first night had 60 people at it, but now we're in 22 cities across the country. And most of the shows before, you know, coronavirus shut things down had like a hundred attendees to 1200 attendees. Wow. And in Phoenix, we went from 60 people at the first show to now like 500 to 700 people each month. Wow. Yeah. So like, you know, it's fewer people, you know, it's like fewer people on a Taylor Swift concert. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not like drunk about anything, but like, it also like felt good. Like, have you ever felt that state of flow where you're like doing something and you try hard at it and like, it keeps working that your instincts are right. Your skills are right. You're the right person at the right time. Yes. Yes. Um, that's been happening to me recently just with this not-for-profit I discovered and I took it under my wing and I've been loving it and it's just working everything for them is working and I I don't know like there's some magic to what they're doing they're just giving people meals during the COVID crisis Mm -hmm. contactless delivery and I said to them like if I helped you talk about this a little more do you have the resources to feed more people and they said we'll meet you there if you can do it we'll feed more people and today their website crashed because they reached their maximum in meals wow but they've gotten so much media attention. And something one of the journalists said to me today was that chef is so humble. He's really doing this for the right reason. Yeah. Yeah. And it's flowing and it feels good. And Megan with the storytellers project, like I I wonder because now to me, this is such a big, beautiful thing. I want to know where do you see it going? Well, we were expanding into cities. Um, our company blended with another company. So Gannett and Gatehouse merged. They own other properties in other cities. So we were going to expand into new markets. That's obviously been put on hold because of can't convene in big groups. And that is kind of the primary thing we do. So for right now, we're, we're doing virtual shows through September, um, as long as you know we're still kind of navigating public health and what's appropriate. And we do custom shows. We're doing custom virtual shows to raise money for different nonprofits. So that's, that feels like good and exciting and is something worth investing in. So, you know, when like the world gets back to normal a little bit more, we will for sure, I think, expand into new markets, like grow into new cities as part of Gannett, you know, USA Today. And really working with new clients. So we like sell narrative consulting services, but we also sell like custom storytelling nights to clients. And so, you know, we're hoping to continue growing that business. Right now we're doing it virtually, um, but you know, we're like in business to be doing it 
in real life someday, I hope. I know what? It's going to happen. I mean, you're on this good highway and I could just see it happening totally. <laughs> right, right. Now, let me ask you, have you ever had a moment where like there's like somebody in the audience that you'd never expect? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that's funny to me is a hundred years ago, like at our second night, this is a true story, at our second night of our of storytellers, I literally saw like four guys in the audience that I had gone on dates with. <laughs> and I know, it also makes me seem trashy. But listen, I've lived, you know, I'm a good, I'm a cool person and I lived here a while. But I also invited them to come. Like I invited everyone I knew, basically. Like I didn't like spam text everybody, but I basically texted everyone in my phone uh, and in my email and was like, please come to this show. And it worked. Like they showed up, you know, and I was really surprised by that, but also kind of like gratified. Like, well, I was a cool, like, you know, we weren't that serious about each other and we ended things politely. So thanks for showing up to my storytelling event. But since then, you know, like now I joke that when I go to shows, like I don't know anybody necessarily at them because it's obviously not really about my Rolodex and my relationships. It's about the newsrooms across the country and their relationships. And it's about the storytellers and who they're connecting to. So I think like the thing that's changed the most is like before it was like kind of about me and the work I knew how to do and the people I knew or who, who I could get to call me back and help me. And now because the um, Gannett USA Today has invested in the project, it's about building the process, not about the person. Mm. Okay. Yes. They say that process could save the world because we would stop and, and, and look at every step we take and stop before we reach a disastrous point because we're analyzing our moves and the why. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you, do you have any words of wisdom that you would give a newbie starting off in journalism or somebody who wants to share a story? Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, well, so if you're a person who is interested in like publicity, PR, journalism, stuff like that, I would say... My biggest thing that like, I think was helpful to me was like, I knew I was actually terrible as a report. Like I was a terrible writer. Like it occurred to me when I was very young, like senior year of college, first, second, third year on the job. Like I was terrible <laughs> because you are terrible. Like you're not good at your job yet, right? Cause you just started doing it. Um, and I think you have to be pretty good at something to like start doing it professionally, but then you have to have that like realization that you're actually like the worst of the people who do it. And then knowing that about yourself enables you to try harder and learn and humble yourself in front of others that will teach you. Yes. Oh, that is so well said. Yes. I Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, thank you for asking. Like I, remember one summer I read like 32 nonfiction books because I knew that reading great nonfiction was the best way I could get better. Like if I filled my brain with Joan Didion, I would get better. Uh, not that I'm like Joan Didion, like obviously Jesus, she's the best. But like, I thought, well, I can read her, you know, and then Joan Didion will be in the back of my head or something like, you know, whatever I was trying. But I do think that works, right? Like when you read great works, you grow your vocabulary, you know, you expand your thinking, you know, that stuff like seeps into your brain. And so I really tried that summer to like read great nonfiction because I knew I had to get better and I thought that would be the best way to get better. I also always asked editors for feedback and like asked if they would sit with me and like show me how they were editing my story. Not because I didn't trust them, but because like I wanted to learn. 
Oh, that is so smart. Uh, I think a really great leader I once worked for said, Nikki, I love that you ask for feedback because I have a feeling you won't be beside these other people in 10 years. You would have asked for so much feedback that you'll be a different person. And I used to be like a really hyper, really hyper excitable person, but I'm a pretty mellow one now. <laughs> and I think it's the feedback. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Like it's brilliant when you, when you can just like, I think it's kind of like moving the ego out of the way and you ask people to tell you what they see in you and what their experience is with you. It helps refine us. So on that note of refinement, my next question is, on resilience, you know, it, I think that to be in your industry, to be a publicist, you have to be pretty resilient and have pretty thick skin. Can you give us kind of an example of a moment that helped shape your perspective on resilience and helped make you more resilient? Oh man, I wish I were. I mean, I'm sure everyone wishes they were more resilient, especially right now. Um, I mean, I think, I think like I make mistakes all the time and. I mean, here's, here's what I do try to do to build resiliency into my own life. I try to let people know when I have no idea what's going on. Like I get into situations where I've never done something before because right when you're trying to grow and do new things, you're going to make mistakes. Like the first time you do something is the worst time you do it. And the first time you do something is the hardest time you do it. But I like doing things for the first time a lot because you're growing then or you're, you're expanding your resources, you know, you're serving new clients, you're moving into new spaces. One of the things I try to do so that I can have resiliency is I tell people I don't know what I'm doing up front and I like throw myself on their mercy and I'm just like, hey, please help me. Like, I'm not embarrassed and I have no ego attached to this, but I can't learn from you if you don't know how much I need to learn. Like, if you think I know what I'm doing, you won't tell me what's going on because you'll just be like, catch up, you know. <laughs> I also take notes all the time and like I do postmortems with my team and myself where like I try to evaluate like how are things going? Did this work? What can we learn from next time? And like write those things down so that we have learnings and we can start building uh, uh, standard operating procedures or best practices. And when you have best practices or written down documentation of like, what are your standard operating procedures and how do you do things? At least then you have something to come back to and refine. You know, you have something to criticize or analyze or measure. Yeah. So I think like on my end, like as a professional, that is what I do to try to be resilient is like lay the foundation for learning and iteration in the future. No, I really like something you said. You said, prepare to fail and it's fine because the first time you do something, you'll suck, but then there's only room for growth. And that's really good advice to give our listeners because I think, you know, most of the people who have that dream, they always have a reason why they can't go for it. But I'm a cheerleader for dreamers. And I say, like, if you build a plan and you show people your plan and you're okay to get criticized, you'll do good. You'll be fine. As long as you have that work ethic. Yeah. I think, I mean, I would, I would say this too, at, at my company, at like, you know, Gannett, which is like, you know, USA Today Network, I have had incredible bosses who I think they always really respected my hustle. Like they appreciated my passion. They said like, we appreciate how hard you try. And they did let me learn, you know, like I've made, I've made so many mistakes and been so humiliated and like had to apologize. I mean, like 
for anyone listening, I have like a template for what an apology needs to look like. <laughs> Not because I am so smart, but because I had to write so many kinds of apologies that like, I'm like, basically an apology has these five parts now. Cause like, I've had to be so good at writing apologies. Megan, Megan, Megan. I'm, I got you there. <laughs> I've enough apologies in my life. My, my background was the director of marketing. And if a campaign had an error and went to print, there was a sword that only I could fall on. Right? Those moments, they're, they're etched in my heart a little bit. Like they really added to the whole like mama resilience that I feel I have now. It's, it is, it's so true that like, I think the key also is falling on your sword, is taking responsibility. Like you have to say the buck stops with me or I'm the one that didn't check this or fundamentally, even if it was somebody above you that steered you wrong, like you're the one that did it. Um, and that people respect that. Like when you just say, hey, I did my best and it wasn't good enough. I did my best and this slipped through. Or I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know to look for that. But, I, but what I was like, kind of what I was thinking is just that like, it mattered a lot that I had managers who were compassionate and who were invested in my learning, not invested in punishing me. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, and so at, that's why, like, I've been at USA Today for so long, and or not, I'm not in that newsroom, but like, I'm with the company, like Gannett. Although now, like, I'm in corporate, so I guess I'm there. But I've been treated really well, and I started there as an intern. And I think not everybody has such a positive story about every company, but in my experience, they recognize like I had this spark and I had this hustle, and so when I did make mistakes or I needed mentorship or I needed correcting they were patient with me and truly compassionate because they were like, Hey, don't let like your lack of attention to detail or don't let whatever it is about you get in the way of what's good about you. Just let us help you. Um, and I really feel like that's made a huge difference. Absolutely. I think that's huge. I mean, I think I can look back at my career and I mentioned that one boss because that one boss was invested in teaching me, not, you know, punishing me, like you said. And I think that, you know, with the Storytellers Project and what you've accomplished, you know, there might be one other question I have for you. And that's, did you have a journalist who was somebody you admired before you ever got into journalism? And if so, who is that? Oh, man. Um, oh, my God. I loved E. Jean Carroll, who's the advice columnist at Elle. Love her. her. <laughs> right? I read her all the time when I was younger. And I still do. I just met when I was younger and, like, realized I wanted to be a journalist. Elle magazine actually changed my life. My mom bought me the spring fashion preview issue with Cindy Crawford on the cover in probably, it would have been 1994 maybe. Anyway, and um, I read it like cover to cover. We were going camping and she thought I would enjoy it. Like, well, like something to read while we were camping. She'd never bought me a fashion magazine before. My mom is a park ranger, but she like knew I was into fashion and makeup. And I think she just like thought I would think it was cool. And it totally changed my life because I read it like voraciously and then I subscribed to it and I started subscribing to like a million magazines. And I realized like it was someone's job to write for magazines and like go to parties and interview famous people and interview musicians and artists and chefs and bartenders and movie stars and people who are glamorous and interesting. And I was like, oh my God, I want that to be my job. I love the magazine. So I'm, we're fangirling here over the same magazine because zoom it page to page. I love it. Yeah. Well, and then I ended up interning at Harper's Bazaar one summer in college. And I kind of realized like, 
it wasn't like the perfect fit for me at the time for like any number of reasons, but it helped me understand like what I did want, which was to do more writing. Cause at fashion magazines, like you don't always do a ton of writing, uh, which I didn't really understand, but now like I get it now. And now I've had this chance to like, I've interviewed lots of like regular people and celebrities and like, I've had a cool, I've had a very cool career. And I'm just really thankful that like, you know, my aspirations were really shallow when I was like 14 or 15. And I feel really lucky that now I have this really fun job. You were inspired by Elle magazine. I was. And I think that today we have some young people kind of finding their way through a lot of digital platforms, but magazines are still around. And I think magazines, hopefully the pandemic won't kill magazines also, but magazines are like a beautiful pastime for me, just kind of reading. And I wish they had a little bit more more articles, not just kind of magazine layouts in terms of fashion. Yeah. But on that note, um, I think that, you know, Canadians who don't know about the Storytellers Project probably want to stream more of what you guys are sharing. Oh, good. So is there a link you can share with my audience? Yes. If you go to YouTube and just search Storytellers Project on YouTube, we will pop up. Or if you go to storytellersproject.com, we will pop up. And then if you go to USA Today slash Storytellers Project, we're there. You know, we are, we are all over the place. And what about you on Twitter? Where can people follow you on Twitter? I hang out on Instagram more though, I'll be honest. Okay. So I'm just Megan Finnerty on, on Instagram and I'm Megan M. Finnerty on Twitter. Excellent. Megan, we appreciate you so much. And, you know, it just feels like such an organic chat with you because I feel somehow like I was just supposed to meet you and it's been such a nice chat. And, you know, when you write a book one day, can we talk? Oh my God, that would be such a blessing. Well, I feel the same way about you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, we would be lucky to have our Canadian brothers and sisters tuning in. Yay. And you know what? I think Canada needs some good content right now. So we're going to make that happen. And Megan, thank you for joining me on Superstar PR. I hope you have a beautiful day. And I think you're a rock star. So can you just keep being amazing? Ditto. And I will. I will try. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Superstar PR. New episodes are available every other Friday. And you know, we would love your feedback. So please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to Superstar PR on your favorite streaming service and visit www.mickeyinc.ca to sign up for podcast alerts and notifications. Thank you so much for listening.